Hello and good evening from Israel. Uh, my name is Ashley Perry. Sorry, Stacy uh, is usually here to introduce me, but she's having some technical uh, difficulties. So I'm on my own tonight, at least for now. Hopefully um, her issues will be sorted out for the uh, Q&A a little bit later in this webinar. Oh, Stacy, you there? Anyway, I, I'll get going either way. Hopefully, as I said, Stacy will be able to uh, uh, sort out our technical difficulties. Uh, let's start in a little bit of an unexpected place tonight. We've been talking a lot about elections, about Iran, about a, a number of issues uh, that have been, uh, you know, taking the headlines. Well, this week, I, uh, and I'll explain after why why it's a, it's it's a matter of importance. Um, if the, those uh, who remember uh, a year ago on the Jewish festival Lag Ba'omer, there's a traditional uh, lighting ceremony on uh, Lag Ba'omer, um, where usually uh, hundreds of thousands uh, of people go up to a mountain in the north of Israel called Meron. Most of them are ultra-Orthodox to celebrate this festival. has become quite a rite of passage for many in the ultra-Orthodox, chiefly in the ultra-Orthodox community. And if we remember, uh, after really many years of warning, uh, what many feared would happen did happen, and the collapse of uh, a pathway or a stage or, or, or whatever it was uh, resulted in the death of 45 uh, people. This was the, the biggest death toll in any uh, civilian tragedy like this. Uh, and as one can imagine, in the days, weeks and months afterwards, there was a lot of finger pointing. Uh, this was towards the end of the Netanyahu uh, era. Well, not to say there won't be another era, but just of the last uh, last uh, Netanyahu era. Uh, there was fingers pointed at Netanyahu. There was fingers pointed at then Interior Minister Arya Derry. Uh, there were fingers pointed at Public Security Minister uh, Ohana, uh, Ami Ohana, and the Police Commissioner and various others. Uh, this government promised because the the previous government. Uh, because of a lot of pressure from the ultra-Orthodox community that did not want to look into it um, because they were worried about what they may find and the fact that there was a lot of uh, rabbis who perhaps got involved and there was a lot of sort of, uh, you know, pressure to overlook certain uh, uh, safety measures which weren't quite there. Um, and basically the government at the time of Netanyahu did not want to look into it, didn't look into it. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox uh, members of Knesset refused to even take part in any discussions on a state inquiry. Uh, and one of the promises uh, of some of the parties that uh, uh, you know, created what was then called the change government promised a, a, an official state inquiry. Well, that inquiry took, up, uh, took place. It invited many of those um, that potentially were responsible uh, to come uh, and give evidence. One of those was Prime Minister, former Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the, the big headlines from his comments were he didn't know, and how could he deal with something that he didn't know about? And it was pointed out to him at the time by uh, the justices who were tasked with looking into that uh, uh, investigation that there were many reports uh, by controllers and others that it was unsafe and unusable and there should have been additional safety measures which were never uh, put in place. Uh, well, this week, what came out was a letter of what's called a letter of warning by that commission that's saying that it's possible that certain figures may be deemed responsible 
uh, for what happened that night. And one of those letters was sent to former Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now, as we've seen in Israeli politics, uh, uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu, you know, you either love him or hate him. And he is a bit of a Mr. Teflon, as they uh, as they refer to people like that in politics, which means that it is rare that his support, that anything will stick to him that will make a large bulk of supporters, not even a majority of supporters, uh, desert him or question him in any way. And one would think in, in, in a reasonable time, perhaps in, a, in, in, in other times, um, that a letter which uh, potentially deemed uh, a leader responsible for the deaths of 45 people, not to say he has been charged with responsibility, but he may be, and to come before a commission requiring and say he didn't know any of this and he couldn't be held responsible when it was proven at least to, to, in, in the, to a certain extent to the court of public opinion that there were enough reports and there were enough warning signs ahead of this. Now, as I said, in, in, in politics, that should be a bit of a blow, perhaps even in, in other political um, processes in other countries, that would perhaps even be enough for a politician to step down, or at least uh, if that would have come out, the least you could do as a leader, as a leader of a party, is say, uh, we uh, we accepted um, this letter of warning, we'll look into it, we'll, we'll abide by its rulings, we'll look into uh, considerations and implications, et cetera, et cetera. That's un unfortunately not the way Israeli politics are, are today. And what uh, the Likud did is sort of a chief tactic uh, of Netanyahu's and his Likud over a number of years is first of all, turn it into a political hot potato and distract and deflect. What they tried to do, the message was, that came out is that this was politically instigated. Well, of course, every state inquiry uh, was instigated by politicians. The ruling parties uh, get to do such a thing and there have been many throughout the history, um, but it was an impartial uh, basis and they did look into many other things. I'm not saying that there were no political influences anywhere, but it is clear from anyone who watched these proceedings that um, there has to be some accountability. 45 people died, and thus far, no one has taken responsibility. A relatively low down, uh, the, the food chain uh, police officer did take some responsibility and did resign, but no political uh, heads uh, rolled. Again, that may be uh, in contradistinction to other political uh, arenas around the world. But in Israel, that's not the way it works. In fact, many commentators have suggested, and I think there's a certain plausibility to this, is that it will actually strengthen Netanyahu because it plays into that uh, sort of sense of victimhood that Netanyahu is very good, very adept at creating around political uh, election campaigns. So this, not to say that this is the biggest issue, and I doubt many people will vote on this issue, but what I wanted to demonstrate is how even so-called, you know, a, a big instances, again, massive civilian disaster, 45 lives were lost, 150 people were injured, uh, and no political uh, leader took responsibility. So a state commission of inquiry uh, was created and has now started to point fingers, but it does not seem to have affected their popularity. So that's really just a sort of a, a little bit of a side note, but an important note to show uh, where we are today in, in Israeli politics. Moving back sort of a little bit to, to, a, to something that we've talked quite a lot about, and I'm sure we will in the coming weeks, is this return to the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. 
um, with the EU leadership saying that it could be signed in a matter of days. There was a bit of a worry earlier in the week from the European or those uh, pro-deal uh, supporters that um, Iranians were trying to stall again. But now it seems that they've accepted uh, pretty much the American comments on their comments on the EU's uh, offer. And it does seem that we're getting closer and closer to a deal. Uh, as, as I said last week, Israel is trying to put a lot of pressure. It doesn't believe uh, that it can stop the deal. It doesn't even believe necessarily that it can change much of the deal, certainly not at this stage. But um, there's a lot that Israel can do as far as compliance, as far as making its case that Iran will uh, basically flaunt this, uh, this deal as it did uh, the last one. It will go way beyond what it's allowed to, but pocket all the dividends from uh, the signed deal. Uh, and finally, after a couple of weeks, Prime Minister Yair Lapid spoke to President Biden tonight. There was a, a readout from the Israeli side. Uh, tellingly, there was no readout from the US side. And again, the vast majority of that conversation was about the Iran deal. The Iran deal has become a bit of a, a, a political a sort of a hot potato uh, in Israel. Um, former Prime Minister Netanyahu, after not attending security briefings, for, uh, as is his right and, and not obligation, but as is his right uh, throughout the last year, has uh, decided he went to one last week and there was a bit of a to and fro. Will there be a picture taken? Netanyahu doesn't want a picture taken, uh, whereas Lapid does, because obviously of the optics, the dynamics that have changed, whereas uh, uh, Lapid is the one in the, you know, the big chair and Netanyahu is the opposition leader. Uh, a picture did go out, uh, but interestingly, or you know, to a certain extent, predictably, it was turned into a little bit of a political uh, game. Uh, with Netanyahu immediately coming out and saying, if I was worried about a return to the Iran deal before and what this government is doing, I'm even more worried now. Uh, Lapid predictably uh, came against him and said, you know, let's not politicize such an important uh, issue. Um, but it's clear that if and when the JCPOA should uh, be signed and, and returned to, uh, this will certainly become an issue. Netanyahu will uh, try and present it as a failure of this government, even though he himself was not able to uh, prevent the, the original agreement of 2015. You know, he'll make the case that, uh, and he, he is making the case, that neither Lapid or his predecessor Bennett went to Congress like he, like he did to try and prevent it to really go as far as possible. Uh, Lapid uh, will claim that that didn't work. And in fact, it uh, created um, a partisan uh, atmosphere in in, in the US, which we haven't yet uh, to re recover from. Uh, moving you know, further uh, away from the Iran deal and onto the Palestinian issue, one thing also that came up in the conversation, which is something the Americans are trying very hard to do, is to prevent Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas from once again trying to proclaim or trying to get a state of Palestine rec um, recognized in the UN. They passed it through the uh, General Assembly a number of years ago, um, and it has a status, in theory at least, uh, akin to the Vatican, not a full member state. It has to go through the Security Council. And as long as there's an American veto, uh, that will not happen. The Americans do not want to get to that point, as they haven't in the past, because they don't want to have to veto it because it doesn't look good for them uh, diplomatically. So they're trying to push the Palestinians down from this. 
Um, if they do manage to do it, it will only because they promised them something. So it remains to be seen exactly uh, what that is. Just a few other issues before we go to question. Uh, last week, uh, we spoke a little bit about a, a potential teacher strike and how that will play out uh, politically, domestically. Um, well, uh, a last, uh, you know, a, 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 the, the school year is supposed to start tomorrow. And up until a few hours, uh, hours ago, we didn't know if our children were going to school. Uh, uh, an agreement was signed, as they say, in the last minute uh, between the Treasury, uh, the, the Finance Ministry, the Education Ministry and the Teachers uh, Union uh, leadership. Um, uh, you know, we talked a lot of this will play very much around how people perceive Avigdor Lieberman, the leader of Israel Beitainu and the Finance Minister, uh, someone who really tried to push himself as someone who holds out, someone who push for what he believes in, someone who says, I'm not going to play into uh, election politics by basically giving whatever they need, as long as it uh, doesn't make him look bad. He did uh, get quite a lot of achievements out of this agreement, uh, quite a lot of things that he wanted. He wanted uh, some of the pay rise for teachers to be merit-based, as opposed to the amount of time they spent in the system. He did want to align some of the school vacation with days that uh, that uh, uh, parents have to take off, which was a big issue for him, uh, and even push for more days or less days in the summer holiday, more days of school, um, and even raise um, the minimum that a, a, an entry-level teacher will get to try and entice more people into the education system. So Lieberman probably won a few points. I don't know if it will last. Uh, according to a poll tonight, he's gone up by one seat. Uh, again, probably not something that will be remembered into the elections, but maybe something he can, you know, uh, uh, drop his coat on to show that he's he's prepared to stand up to the unions, uh, the monopolies and, and other longstanding groupings in Israel who have run much of Israel's policy. Uh, going to a poll tonight, I mentioned briefly, um, the poll pretty much, as I said, is, Israelis or Israeli news have become addicted uh, to polls recently. Um, where there's a poll every couple of days. What has been consistent for the last number of weeks, perhaps even month or two months, is the Netanyahu block is stuck at 59. And we've, talk, we've talked quite a lot how the magic number there is 61. They need to have 61 to form a government. At the moment, they're really uh, just stuck on 59. And one of the reasons for that is the fact that Eyal Shaked's uh, Zionist spirit party with U.S. Hendel and some others has not been able to pass the electoral threshold and hasn't even really come that close. I think today, uh, tonight's poll, they were about 2%, where you need 3.25% to have representation in the Knesset. That's not to rule them out. And it's very possible that at one point they could get over the line. And that will probably be a certain boost for Netanyahu, because as much as Shaked and Netanyahu have a history, they don't like each other. Shaked would almost certainly uh, join uh, with Netanyahu and a future government. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of her former Yamina uh, compatriots have left her. Finally, and a really interesting moment that happened this week, those who remember Jonathan Pollard, uh, the longstanding Israeli spy who was in American jails for a number of decades, who was uh, released a, a few years ago. Well, he came out of uh, nowhere to endorse Shaked. Uh, and saying that she deserves a second chance. She made an error by being in this government, but she's a stalwart, right-wing, lover of the land of Israel, et cetera, et cetera, all those talking points. And 
and, and he endorses her and calls people to vote for her. Well, as you can imagine, that caused quite a lot of furore, and it wasn't long in coming, a retraction, where basically Jonathan Pollard came out and said, I made a mistake, I didn't understand everything, and I retract my earlier endorsement. Shaked then came out and said, as usual, uh, the camp which is running against me, she didn't mention it by name, but the uh, Netanyahu Smotrich camp, basically this is what she claimed, that uh, Pollard had received such abuse, including death threats, uh, to retract his uh, endorsement. So that was just a little side note, but uh, just a sort of another example of how the ugly side of Israeli politics and the fact that uh, if, you know, if there are endorsements out there, they will be attacked themselves. And it's just it's just become a bit of an ugly arena at the moment, uh, has Israeli politics. And I'm sure there's much to go. Tomorrow, as I said, is the first day of school, September 1st. And a lot of people are saying now that kids are back in school, uh, you know, parents uh, and working people will be able to go back to work, will be able to concentrate on other things as opposed to keeping their kids occupied and happy as they have for the last two months. And this is really where the real election campaign starts. As I said, tomorrow, uh, for many people, the election campaign starts in earnest. And I'm sure throughout September, uh, something I've said before, October is mostly taken by Jewish holidays. So there'll be a lot of stop starts uh, in the election campaign. September is the last month full month with very little disruption. So a lot of the budgets, a lot of the campaigning will be happening over the next month. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. If we have. Yes, my apologies. Uh, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, so Murray Feldman asks, who is on the commission that will judge Netanyahu? How are they appointed? Well, I mean, they, they, it's already uh, finished now. Now, as I said, it's sending out letters. I can't remember the exact identities. They were appointed by this government. It was a state um, state uh, a commission. It was voted on uh, in the Knesset and through committees. Um, and one can imagine as this government had the majority, they wanted to get their people on. Obviously, you have to, uh, whoever, whoever decides on such committees, you have to get largely unimpeachable people or people who are seen as relatively unbiased. Obviously, uh, any government uh, that appoints a committee that looks into a previous government is going to want to get uh, certain results. Um, so, you know, it, if, if you're in Netanyahu's camp, again, the message that they're trying to put out, which is something which is um, being bought uh, to a certain extent by his people, is that this was, you know, this was politicizing the fact that they're releasing the results two months before elections just shows the political nature of it. Well, on the other side, you could say, you know, the, uh, and they're saying that this was not where, where you know, the, the composition was uh, was decided by politicians, but that was where its interference ended. And as soon as it finished its work, that is rightly when it uh, uh, does these things like send out letters, etc. So. You know, there's a bit of a, a war of words around it. Uh, I'm sure both sides will try and use it because it works for both sides. It works uh, both for Lapid and his allies, and it also works for Netanyahu and his allies. Thank you. Daniel Pike says, do tell us about Knesset unions and disunions as promised. Well, there, there has been quite a lot. Probably most chiefly is the basically the dismemberment of Yamina. Uh, Yamina today is pretty much Ayelet Shaked, 
um, uh, Shirley Pinto, um, who is the first ever deaf member of Knesset, uh, has moved to uh, Benny Gantz's party. Kara, uh, who was the big sort of hope of the, um, the independent workers union, uh, those who felt very much that they weren't looked after. It was a big union, a, couple of, uh, a big uh, movement a couple of years ago, uh, entering on the Amina list uh, under Bennett has basically left and started his own party. That's all Israel needs is another party which isn't going to pass the threshold. Um, and basically it's, uh, it's Ayelet Shaked today. So the great Yamina experiment is pretty much over uh, now that Bennett is gone and pretty much um, uh, Kahana left and, and many others. Um, we did see uh, this week, we talked about it in previous weeks, um, the, the disagreement between uh, the religious Zionist party of Smotrich and the Otsma Yudid party of um, uh, Itamar Benkvir. There was a lot of talk about, will they, won't they? I said all along that they will end up uh, coming together and Smotrich will remain at the top of the list despite the fact that Benkvir is um, probably responsible for about two thirds of their popularity at this point. Well, as predicted, they did decide uh, to join together. So that is a great relief to Netanyahu. Um, the fact uh, because he didn't want to take a risk and have Smotrich potentially falling below uh, the electoral threshold. Not that I think he would, but they were flirting with it, with some polls giving them as low as four or five. The other potential uh, big banana skin for Netanyahu, which again, I believe will be sorted out, but it is becoming harder and harder by the day, is the potential breakup of the United Torah Judaism. We've spoken about this in the past, the Hasidic and non-Hasidic wings. Well, now there, you know, there, there's a great ideological battle because one of the Hasidic groups uh, called the Bells have accepted a deal uh, by the state of Israel, uh, uh, principally by the finance ministry. And as we know, the finance ministry is run by Vitor Liebman, who is to a certain extent, you know, the, the greatest enemy or the way they see it, the greatest enemy of the ultra-Orthodox or the Bells community, a very significant and powerful uh, community within the Hasidic movement has accepted a deal that they will teach all the basic subjects because the, uh, many of the Haredi schools, uh, Orthodox schools, do not teach the basic subjects, whether it's English, maths, um, uh, or, or, or sciences. Or they've accepted a deal that they will teach the basic subjects and they will get further funding from the state. And that's caused all sorts of problems for many other ultra Orthodox uh, movements because it will then put pressure on them. Uh, to accept those kind of a deal, and they do not want to uh, introduce secular, what they, what they claim as secular subjects. So at the moment, Netanyahu is trying very hard to get the two sides together. The two sides are actually getting angry with Netanyahu because they're saying this is not a political issue, this is an ideological issue. Some even saying, going as far as saying it's a theological issue, and Netanyahu should stay out of it. So there's quite a lot of anger directed at Netanyahu for trying to uh, intercede and getting them together because as we know um, it's in his great interest if the two parties do not want together one or maybe both of them will fall under but could potentially fall under electoral threshold thus almost certainly depriving Netanyahu of any chance of reaching uh, his 61. The final uh, big issue on perhaps uh, unions and there is a great pressure on is a potential union between merits and labour there are a lot of people, especially Meretz, who are trying to put pressure on Mirav Michaeli um, uh, to join 
uh, as a union of merits and labor. They did this before, um, and it was not considered the most successful. According to polls, uh, a poll tonight that I saw, um, each party is expected to get five seats, but together they're only expected to get nine, which means that they would drop a seat, uh, which doesn't exactly um, ensure that this union will be a success. Uh, Merits is trying to, and, and many of its supporters are trying to put pressure on the PID to ensure that they run together because their argument is that it would only help uh, Lapid's block. I don't see how that's true. Uh, I've been involved in and, and witnessed many of these experiments of parties running together. And usually it's very rare that they are uh, the two parts are stronger together than separate. Uh, having spoken to Merov Mikhaeli only a couple of months ago on this issue, she is extremely determined to run uh, alone. She believes, like last time, she won't be doing very well in the polls uh, and then will be a surprise in the elections. And if we remember last time, she was also tottering around four or five and in the end got nine seats. So she's pretty confident in that. She believes the ideological gaps between her and Merits are strong enough that each deserves its own place on the political map. So I don't see that. Uh, whereas I've talked about the other unions, I, I think that they, I predict that they will and have come together. My prediction is, could be I'll be wrong, that merits and labor will not run together. So those are, are some of the this week's sort of uh, political wrangling, unions um, or non-unions. Thank you. Uh, Jack Wasserman asks, when did the union of Shaked and Netanyahu be something of Zohar magic? Say it again. Sorry, I didn't catch that. My audio is terrible today. Uh, wouldn't the union of Shaked and Netanyahu be something of Zohar magic? Of Zohar magic? It's a miracle type of thing. Oh, it, it, would, it would be a miracle? No, it, it would be politically expedient. Um, they, they don't like each other. They attack each other, sometimes uh, below the radar, many times above the radar. And Netanyahu would like nothing less than, which, which to me doesn't make much sense, but it you know, they're, they're attacking her daily to try and keep her below the political, uh, between, uh, below the electoral threshold. To me, it doesn't make much sense because she is the most likely out of all those not currently in his block to move across and stand with him. And I think when it comes to it, if it would be between um, going across to the left, calling for new elections or making uh, or helping Netanyahu get over 61, I believe that she'll do the latter. And even those in her party, like U.S. Hendel and Svika Hauser, who have uh, both worked with uh, Netanyahu. In fact, all three of them have worked personally with Netanyahu. So there's no ideological differences, but they just do not respect the man. They don't like the man uh, for the way he acts. That's that's pretty much uh, where each of them stands. So I think personally that they would all hold their nose and join the Netanyahu government. Um, but I you know, I, if they do pass the threshold, I think that's the most likely scenario. So I don't think it's a, a miracle. They've sat in the government together uh, many times. And ideologically, they share a lot more um, than uh, perhaps Shaked shares with an Apid or a Gantz or some of the others that she currently shares a government with. Thank you. And Carrie Hillebrand asks, is Israel close to an agreement with Lebanon on the maritime boundary? How would an agreement impact on elections, if at all? Um, well, it does seem that they're getting closer and closer. It does seem that there's compromise on both sides. Uh, the big wild card that uh, is worrying many in Israel is what will Hezbollah's reaction? Is this 
could this be used as an excuse for Hezbollah to flex its muscles? Hezbollah are, are certainly uh, not uh, popular at the moment. They're at a bit of a nadir as far as their uh, popularity in Lebanon. Perhaps this could be uh, an excuse to rally its people, to rally its troops, to regain some popularity. And there's a, a lot of concerns that it could attack uh, the Israeli oil rigs in what the Lebanese would call is uh, disputed or even Lebanese uh, uh, maritime territory. Um, but it does seem that the two parties are getting closer and closer to an agreement. I don't think that it's going to play out uh, electorally one way or another. It's not an issue which engages Israelis uh, too much. If there was a, a, a Hezbollah attack and if it was uh, repulsed or, or whatever, and it, or if, God forbid, it even led to a, a, a wider war, uh, land war, etc., then obviously that would play out uh, very much. Um, but at the moment, it's a very technical, even technocrat uh, matter. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be resolved at some point because the Americans are trying to put a lot of pressure on both sides to resolve it. But I don't think it will become a, a major political uh, issue. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Irena uh, Suckerman discussing the evolving Tehran-Moscow axis. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.